Hello, hello. You've got us again on Boomerangs. This is Ruth. And this is Mike. Once again, we have too many topics to delve into at the top of the show, so we're just going to launch. The first one that I wanted to touch on is something that I talked about before, but I wanted to re-endorse it. It's called Sound of Metal. And what happened was Rez Ahmed, who is the lead in the film and gives a wonderful performance, doesn't have a chance of winning the Academy Award for Best Actor because Chadwick Boseman, who was actually a supporting actor, was put up for Best Actor. So he will win. Razamed will not win. And he gives such an excellent performance. And the title, as we agreed before, is very Mm off-putting. Sounds like you're going to be exposed to heavy metal. And it's not. There's a bit at the beginning Mm -hmm. and then you never have to listen to heavy metal again. Yeah. So it's really about a man's journey while he's going deaf and mm-hmm. he's also an addict and how he discovers the deaf community and deals with his addiction. And it's just a really rich tapestry. I really, really yeah, recommend it's it. It's on my watch list. I'm, oh, good. I'm getting down the list. I've seen most of the Oscar nominees. By the way, we can talk if you want. I watched Trial of the Chicago 7. And what did you think? I love Sasha Baron Cohen, but I thought he was horrible. I thought his accent was inconsistent. It flowed in and out. And sometimes it sounded like Boston and sometimes it sounded like New York, except maybe yeah. Abby Hoffman lived in both those cities. Maybe that was intentional. But I don't know. And I know you talked about the age problem with him in that role, yeah. which which is part of it, too. But um It was very Aaron Sorkin, you know, it was like, okay, this is a movie about a significant thing that happened that we need to all be concerned about. Yeah. And and he shows the political corruption of our country and our system. And so that's all good and right and honorable. But it didn't grab me like some of his other stories have. Yeah, he just has people pontificate and it just loses me completely. The guy who played William Kunstler was really good. He was fun to watch. Mark Rylance, I think, is his name. Yeah, he was awesome. He's a British actor. Yeah, he's great. I think he was the redeeming feature. I think he's the one that made it stay interesting. Oh, good. Um, Did you catch the Fred Hampton? Um, Yes. Yeah. Yes. An intersection of two. Yeah. Of two Oscar nominated movie plots. And that was the one where I said, if there was a film about Fred Hampton, just about him, I watched that. And then I didn't watch Judas and the Black Messiah. And now I can't watch it because it's no longer on HBO Max. So oh. now I have to wait until it comes back, I guess, to HBO Max Judas at some and point. Judas and the Black Messiah. Now that was really a powerhouse in terms of taking a political, historical story from the recent past yeah. and making it yeah. vital and new and fresh and compelling. So you wanted to talk about Mank too, right? I saw Mank, yeah this weekend it's another one (laughs) that you can't watch in the daytime if you have any daylight in your home oh it's so dark it's It's very black and white and white and all the scenes are indoors and it's really really dark all the time i tried (laughs) i I got like i got almost halfway through and i thought something must be wrong here and and indeed it was because i waited till nighttime and i saw you could actually see people's faces which made it much more enjoyable but still, I don't know. I love Gary Oldman and yeah. I love, you would know her name. I don't even know her name. The one who played Amanda Seyfried. Davies. Yeah, she yes. was really good. I think she got nominated. I hope so. I think she got she, nominated for Best Supporting. She was supporting. one little bit of life in that movie. But I think they're trying too hard to make a hero out of Herman Mankiewicz and show, you know, he had these addiction problems, but he was this great outspoken kind of drunken warrior for, for justice. 
And that's all great, but it felt like one of those things where Hollywood is congratulating itself too much. Yes. Not yes. to mention the fact that most people in Hollywood, had they been then back in those days, would probably have shunned him because he was a little bit of a black sheep. But of course, today, everyone would want to think that they would have been by his, his side. best friend. It was too Hollywood reverential for me. I tried to watch that movie the night that I came home from the hospital and I was on major drugs. Mm. I didn't have the excuse of having it screening during the day. It was at right. night. But I kept saying, <laughs> the girls got so upset with me because I was obsessed with Lily Collins. And I kept saying every time a woman walked in, I'd say, is that Lily Collins? Because I couldn't <laughs> tell. I couldn't see people's faces. It was, it was very so hard dark. To see. Yeah. And I was looking for Amanda Seyfried. And I, I just good. all I knew was that she was blonde. And right. I, I lost the thread of it very early on. I mean, I, I just couldn't follow it at all. I don't know that I'm ready to talk about Tina yet, but I thought that we had more grist for the mill. Oh, I watched Murder some... Among the Mormons. And I am very interested in that. Is that a true story? It's a very true story. It's a very surprising story. I, so I can't talk too much about how the story develops. It's perfect for me. One hour episodes, easy to watch. Only three episodes in the whole series, easy to watch the whole thing. And uh, actually shorter in its entirety than, say, Mank and much more interesting. <laughs> and it's got psychopathic manipulation. It's got toxic religiosity. Oh. And it's got, it's a true crime story. So. Oh my God. It's perfect. It checks up all your boxes. And it takes place in the, in the 80s, which is kind of fun. Because the 80s has become a long time ago. It has. Isn't that strange? Yeah. But it's a, uh, I, th I thought it was really fun. And it really is a good story because it's like a real mystery because it looks like the guilty party is going to be over here. And then the story unfolds and it's like, hmm, maybe not. And so it's got a huh. good plot twist or two to it. That are That's it's interesting. interesting. I remember when it was happening. It must have happened in the mid 80s. Yes. October because 1985. And does it have to do with some scrolls or some yes. kind of, oh, okay. Yes, okay. it's about this document historian who finds an old, meaning from 1830, which is, I guess, when Mormonism started, an old written manuscript that's been missing since the start of the religion that gives uh, an account of how Joseph Smith received this vision or this word or this, this revelation. That happens right in the beginning. So I can tell you uh, that document is called the White Salamander Papers because it challenged the traditional church teaching, which was that an angel came down in Missouri and started talking to, to Joseph Smith about this revelation that he yes. was going to be charged with writing down and promulgating among the people. So it was very scandalous when they found the, the White Salamander Papers because the White Salamander Papers implied that, no, it was not an angel after all, that it was more like magic and, and talking animals huh. and all kinds of things like that. So it caused quite a stir really? in the church. It must have. Yeah. That but would it's a, be heresy. It's a good story, man. Oh, it, I'm going to watch it. It moves and it moves and it shifts. And you it's truly surprising how it follows. I remember that people were chasing that story. Producers were chasing it as it was happening. Oh, really? So, yeah. yeah. So it was a hot story back then. I remember reading about it, but I don't remember a murder. So I will be intrigued. Yeah, it's fun. And another element I liked about it is you get the experience of like how easy it is with the way a human mind works, how easy it is to think, oh, well, it's obvious that this happened. You know, it's obvious that these people are behind it. It's almost frightening to realize how easy it is to assume the truth of something just because your first impression, it fits somehow. Yeah, it's true. Is that on HP? Oh, that's on, what is that on? That is on Netflix, I believe. I'm definitely going to see that one. Mm -hmm. I did watch on HBO Max, Tina, about Tina Turner. 
And what I knew about Tina Turner was that she had this horrendous marriage with Ike, where he beat her and then would send her right. out on stage. Right. You come to learn through her her 80-year-old self, which is mm-hmm. she's interviewed. Right. And she looks incredible. Do you know, I never heard Tina Turner speak before. Mm. I've heard her sing, but I've never mm-hmm. heard her speak. Mm-hmm. And she is so poised. Yeah. And articulate. She's not highly educated. And I think right. that she had to work in her parents' cotton fields, picking wow. cotton when they were wow. sharecroppers. Holy smokes. So she doesn't have a deep education, but she's right. extremely intelligent. Wow. And just is sort of a kind of presence that I wasn't expecting. Mm-hmm. I was expecting somebody earthy and very much in charge of her own story. But right. Tina Turner is way more than that. Right. She's through all of what she went through. She really has a lot of light. Mm-hmm. And this is not a spoiler because it happens at the top of the show. But her mother just left the family mm-hmm. one day. Wow. And left her father to take care of her and her sister. And I think there were other children. Mm-hmm. And then one day the father just left. Oh, brother. And they were sent to a cousin. Mm. You know, it was just one failure of society after another. Right. Until she met Ike when she was 16 or 17, and he became her whole world. Their relationship is a lot more complex than just he beat me and I stayed. Mm-hmm. It has a lot more to it than that. But what you learn from her is that she wants people to stop asking her about <laughs> relationships that she had with Ike. She doesn't want Ike to be part of her story anymore. Okay. And this is really, it's a lot of Tina. I mean, there's a lot of Tina singing and a lot of home films that were done, professional film that was done of the two of them at the time. So it really chronicles her struggle from being in thrall to Ike Mm -hmm. and her breaking away from him. Mm -hmm. And then It was not an easy transition for her to go into her own. She struggled for years. She was in Vegas Mm -hmm. and she did. I mean, she did Hollywood squares. She was nothing to sneeze at. But But for a superstar, I guess it is. Well, she just had to take any job that would come along. Right. Right. Because she had no money. She had been left with nothing but her name. Right. And that wasn't even her name. Her name was Anna Mae Bullock. But. Wow. I named her Tina huh. and that's who she became. Wow. So she walked away with that. I was disappointed that it didn't have more of her family. She had, let's see, Ike had two children. She had one by another man and had one with Ike. So they had a household of four boys mm-hmm. and they were gone for eight months at a time touring. Mm. So how that household worked, I, I don't know. I would like to have heard more from their sons about right. how that felt for them right. to be such absentee parents. She is at the end victorious uh-huh. and wonderful and fabulous. Yeah. And there's only one Tina. Mm. So I recommend it, especially if you like her music. Because yeah, no, I would love to see it. it. I, I, oh, I, I always found her very inspirational. She really it's is. It's remarkable to overcome. I don't know if they go into her childhood, but God only knows what other horrors she might have experienced other aside from all this serial abandonment. But to overcome the whole racism factor and being a woman in the business, in the entertainment business, yes. who was attached to a male figure and now is having to do that break and be her own her own entity. It's just remarkable. The survival strength of some of these people who do this. What's kind of remarkable about her is, you know, that she's been going through this brutality from Ike, but she gets on stage and she's just all light. You can't take your eyes off of her. Yeah. 
and she's brilliant. Right. And that she had that survival instinct. And she says at one point, I was never loved. My parents didn't love me enough mm. to stick around. I right. didn't love me. Right. They just wanted to control me. Right. And then she finds love with a record producer. And oh, they, great. They live in Switzerland now. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah. And yeah, maybe so. her persona, maybe her maybe her onstage persona was part of her salvation, too. And maybe that character gave her some ability to push through and, and do it. But, you know, I don't think that it was an alter ego in her case. I think that she is just this radiant person. She is the I, what you see is what you get. I really think so. And he, yeah. I mean, the point that they made was that she wanted to be a rock star. Mm -hmm. She didn't want to be. A, a soul singer. She didn't want to be in the backwaters where, right. where Ike had been, right. just singing the songs that he had written for her. She wanted right. to be bigger than that. Yeah, and okay. she was 45 years old when she yeah. broke out with What's Love Got to Do With It. Wow. And amazing. the private dancer. I know her yeah. determination is, is incredible. And, yeah. and at one point, a record executive wants to bring her on. And, mm -hmm. and, and one of his higher ups, you hear it in a recording. I can't repeat it because it's so horrifying. But basically, he just digs at her. She calls her the N word and says, we can't bring someone that old on. She'll never. Oh, right. What's, what's she doing on the roster? And come to find out that she's one of yeah. the biggest stars of the 80s and 90s. You'll love it. If you like her, you'll love this. I don't know that I had anything. Yeah. What have I watched? I'm trying to think if I've watched anything else this week. Um, I watched Mank. I watched The Mormons. I definitely didn't watch anything else. Yeah. I want to see The Father. Oh, I did watch The Father. How was that? Yeah. It's good. It's good. Is it good. really depressing? Uh, how could it be depressing? It's got Olivia Coleman. No, 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 in no. It. no. Was it depressing? It, no. I mean, yes, but no. What I loved about it was they do a lot with the storyline. A scene will happen, and then later on, a piece of the same scene will play again or the same bit oh. of conversation. And I don't know if this was their intent or not. But as a viewer, you get a sense of, wait a minute, didn't I hear that before? Oh, you're sort of living through his. They give you a little bit of a sense of the disorientation that yeah. one must feel when they're going through that process of dementia. Don't they have flash forwards that are very abrupt? <laughs> yeah, flash forward and back. And so you, you'll hear something repeated from another scene that you heard earlier. And it's like, Wait a minute, we heard that before. So is it the experience of being in his head or is there also a, are, are you the, You're giving, the audience? I think what they're giving, I think is to give you a little bit of what his experience was like to, yeah. to not be sure if you've heard something before or- But and, you're not in his head the whole time. No, no. Oh, it's okay. mostly that you're okay. watching through the fourth wall, but sometimes you you get drawn in because they'll play a part of a scene a second time or they'll play a second a piece of dialogue a second time. Okay. It's like, wait a minute, I heard that before. And they play with vagueness. Like you don't know for sure if the character he's seeing and that the filmmaker is showing you in this moment, in this scene is actually there or if he's imagining that person to be there. I think it's done very creatively. It's not just about a man's decline into yeah. dementia. It's about the experience of it. Yes. And that sense that makes you feel kind of dizzy, like, wait a minute, I'm not sure if I heard that right. Or I'm oh. not sure if that character I'm seeing is real or it's just a oh, figment wow. of, his, of his imagination. It draws you in as the viewer. It's not, you're not just watching a story unfold. You're kind of drawn into the inconsistencies and the vagueness and the contradictions that he is constantly struggling with. Huh. I'm much more curious to see it now that you've told me about it. Mm -hmm. The Sound of Metal is like that as well. They play with the sound so that mm -hmm. at times... 
the sound completely goes away and all you have are vibrations. Right. It's, it's really masterful the way that they do it. So, right. I, yeah. And it really draws you into the experience of what this man is going through. Right. So, it's on my list. I'm going to definitely watch that. Oh, I know what I was going to ask you. Did you happen to watch Saturday Night Live? No. What happened? Oh, I heard that Bo and Yang did a, a very emotional piece about what's called AA, Asian American and PI, oh. Pacific Islanders, about oh, the violence that's been interesting. happening. That's yes. so fascinating to me that we're having this wake up moment about Asian targeted violence. And I have to say, we must need this moment because I will admit that it's not a, something I was at all conscious of Me at either. all. I knew because of Jeannie Mori, mm-hmm. I knew how sexualized right. Asian women were. Right. Either they were sexualized or her parts were otherized, mm-hmm. but it was never equivalent. She was always the Asian something. Yeah. I was thinking of Better Call Saul. And they have that whole sub story about the uh, oh, nail the, salon. The there nail were his salon. offices in the back. But yes. even there, they kind of they play with a stereotype, but it's pretty dicey, you know, in terms of I, how they portray these these characters. Yes. The one thing I'll say about that is the woman who runs it has agency because That's she does true. not put up with his bullshit. That's true. And they do focus on his impropriety in yes. how he treats them. Yes. But it's a fine line. It's a little scary line. It is a fine line. And yeah. I'm having another George Floyd moment with this mm-hmm. because I realized that I don't question it. I yeah. have you know, Vietnamese women do right. my manicure and pedicure. And and yet there is this revelation that's right. happening. It's like an in- invisible epidemic, everything. but it's invisible to us because our white privilege blinds us to these things. Yes. Until they're really pointed out. And just as with George Floyd mm-hmm. being murdered, these innocent people being hit and stabbed and yeah. killed. Right. And then these six women in Atlanta. It, it was like we have to have bloodshed before we can really sort of see what is in front of us. Right. And even with the bloodshed, it's sadly true that there can be a groundswell of awareness and a, an appearance of a shift, but it often just goes back to the status quo. It and, seems you know, like it has to happen a few times before we really wise yeah. up, but maybe not. I mean, maybe the dynamics are changed because the way we're able to focus on these things, it's, it's harder to dismiss these things than it used to be just because of the way news happens well because it's so constant yeah and we have enough voices asian voices in public life and in entertainment that weren't there before so yeah even though the problem still is dire the voices that are able to address it and keep it in our consciousness are more numerous than they used to be well there's also a voice that's being given right it wasn't before because asians were considered the model minority mm-hmm. they were the you know go along get along right um, success quiet- academic success all of that We think of Asians as being sort of exalted, both educationally and financially. And Mm -hmm. yet, no, there is a minority class of worker that is invisible. And that's one of the troubling things about it is that we do allow them to not be full human beings. Yeah. I'm about to run out of battery power. So we have to say goodnight to our boomer friends. Oh, bye boomers. It was nice visiting with you. Thanks for tuning in. Yes. Get those shots. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.